Welcome to the West Virginia Writers Podcast, a service of West Virginia Writers Incorporated, the Mountain State's largest all-volunteer nonprofit organization dedicated to writers. Established and incorporated in 1977, West Virginia Writers continues to support writers in writing statewide through program sponsorship, an annual writing contest, and an annual summer writers conference. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as writers throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, broadcasting from atop a hill in Mercer County, here is your host, Eric Fritzhughes. Thank you, Gertrude and Ola listeners. Welcome to Episode 44 of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Fritzhughes. This week brings a recorded live reading done by poet Tim Armentrout, captured on October 19th at Carnegie Hall in Lewisburg. Or... Rather, the reading was captured at Carnegie Hall in Lewisburg. Tim himself was pretty much free-range. The event was part of Carnegie's ongoing Brown Bag Reading Series, which you might remember from the Brown Bag Reading by Belinda Anderson we podcasted a few weeks back. Tim is a West Virginia native from Raleigh County. He earned his B.A. in English from Davis and Elkins College and holds an M.F.A. in Creative Writing from Naropa University. His work has appeared in Brown Magazine, Slumgolian, Doozy, Not Enough Night, and Hot Whiskey. He's the co-editor of Livestock Editions, a small press dedicated to avant-garde poetics. And he's the West Virginia Writers Representative for Region 3, covering Greenbrier, Monroe, Pocahontas, and Summers counties. Much like Tim himself, his reading was very laid back, with Tim seated on the Carnegie stage reading both his poems and some prose work as well. Now, at the beginning of Tim's reading, he passed out some blank postcards to the audience and asked us to fill them in with pretty much whatever happened to pop into our heads as he read from his work. He suggested we could put down lines that caught our ear, or maybe even draw pictures. We could describe our environment, how we felt about the other members of the audience seated near us. And and after we wrote what we had to say on these cards, we were invited to pass them to other audience members, so that the cards would be constantly circulating and filled with a variety of thoughts from a variety of people. Now, this struck me at first as something that might be kind of a distraction from the work being read to us. But as I and other members of the audience actually found, it focused our attention on the poems we were hearing. Now, at the end of Tim's main reading, you will hear him read from those cards and be able to see how the feedback from the audience synthesizes with the work from the poet himself to create something altogether new. Live from the stage at Carnegie Hall, Tim Armentrout. So... um the pieces that I'm going to read are kind of focused on different little observations and um, little illuminated moments, and that's kind of what's on what's going to come down onto these cards too. Um, there's a lot of focus on shifting and movement um, and the idea of language in the body. And the first set of poems um, are published in a magazine out of Atlanta, Georgia, called Brown Magazine. So I thought it was pretty fitting, fitting to read this at the uh, Brown Bag event. Um, and these deal with um, the last couple months living in Elkins before we moved down to Greenbrier County and then kind of arriving here. So that's just some of the, the movements in the background. Uh, the first piece is rhetorical support. The foul cries, a sneeze in the face of bedtime's routine. The turntables offer a feast of sick parasites, a warm rumble in the distances of the bathroom, always going back to do it over again and again. Commonly held professional thoughts on insanity define the condition as the expectation 
that the same behavior repeated will produce different results. For example, your back is sore. You remove yourself from the chair you've been positioned in all day, recognizing the pain. A quick walk to the kitchen for something beyond necessity. A stretch. And the seat is taken again, perhaps with a heating pad this time, but the point is that the seat is taken. At the end of the day, you still walk like a pre-evolutionary version of yourself. And your toes are beautiful. It's a fine line, the habit and the addiction. But we never think to reposition ourselves. Same chair, same time, a pattern for everything, coping mechanisms. Hello, my name is Meaningless, and I would like to disenroll from walking through everything in 12 steps. Some journeys require more depth or length or distance. I would like one of those with french fries. Powerless without is only something you get to say when there is a cost for the power granted. And my head itches. Outside, there isn't room for scrabble. Too much snow to plow. If this runs together, if it makes sense, what is a good stopping point? Another juxtaposition. His taste in music just shows what a bitch he is. Can you believe? In the scope of unique interpretations, yours is seen as fog on the kitchen window. Chicken in a plate of broken Pyrex. It always comes back to the stomach. A gourmet beer at a fast food price. The board set for Scrabble. The house grows quiet. A low frequency growl constantly prevents silence. Keeps a medicine bottle filled with something that is only medicine in certain places. Lines defined by proximity. Contextual norms in a place where words are multiplicitous. Nothing is cool. This piece is titled Stagnant Ice. A resistance to salt, beating down to the boards with your father's tire iron. It was a good decision to help. It just takes time, don't it? Karaoke on till you get tucked in and the lights go out. Search for a better method of flushing the system. Excited over drips in the night, zero-sum gain. The empty apartment downstairs spared twice now, a working toilet among five tenants. It's a question of how empty space insulates itself. Conversations above, too chilled to hold anything in. Cold shoulder isn't even the tip of the iceberg. Presumption like a fork in the socket of your simple life. The bright golden cock spray-painted by the neighborhood 8th graders down the street-facing side of the white picket fence. Deflection statements. It makes them look bad. Excuses we make to deny the distance widened between body and youth. Imagine 30 years without temperatures this low. Preschool versions of the Ramones. We own the records set within our lifetimes. I want to avoid statements strung together with great care and create something more productive, something as distracted as thought, the snow crunching under tires and doors closing, heard and unseen. All the blinds have been closed and there is an overuse of articles. 
No one can spend a $6 gift card wisely. Better to saturate one's back pockets with revelations of neglect and the freedom of financial inability. A limitation of choice makes it easy to enjoy the decision to walk through the door empty-handed. A shiny red card you can't give away. Screw your scrambled egg recipe, Martha. I'll have basil in my garden this year. Didn't you know I'm in recovery from vacuum cleaner sales? The competition practiced magic and got stabbed over a pool game with a grave robber. Negative eight is still warmer than last week. A life veiled in secrets ends much the same. Ice clogs the downspout where you fell asleep learning about leaves. Maybe in spring we'll find something more dependable. And this, this piece is titled Progress, uh, and this is the last thing that came out of uh, Elkins, like literally the day that we were packing up the house uh, and getting ready to load the truck and come down here. Progress for Andy Peterson. Clouds mount purple. Assault the formation of letters written by hands known and unknown like brother and sister. Whatever will tie it all together, the sense and the censored, distracted by fingernails. A grocery bag 20 feet up illuminates thin branch. Further back, the bell tower, silent over a frozen city. Who will save its soul from the old money? Who will preserve the body from new money development ideology? 265 wet days a year, a place in process of becoming memory. We are leaving, beginning, a matter of perception, discussed once as a dream before another winter, short and furious. The pen clicks in sync with clock. I'd like to use one of my lifelines in spite of this deadline's cliché impending. Regardless, the beauty exists where noticed, depends upon eyes. A man in a red car brings fingers toward his lips to smoke. I think we make sad dragons. Cowboys have fallen prey to stereotype, and little excuse exists for this inability to stop, to have impulse control. Hope survived in studied relocations, renewed the occupation of hands once thought too eager, proven by the duration of residence. The ageless of coming clouds argue the light amidst the running of errands. There are things to be missed and things to be let go. Happily, we'll greet the departure from the neighbors swearing toddlers, cigarette smoke on the wind the witching hour bar noise. Yea, though the names of unfamiliar mountains must be learned, tongues have been made capable here now eight years. Once it was foreign. Once it felt confining. Once it was mysterious. Once it was all buildings. Once it was all trees. Once I returned home every weekend. Once it became comfortable. Then I called it by name. Then it became what was missing. Now it becomes what is remembered. 
It took leaving there and coming here to recognize accent, to own geography, to believe again and be content with difference, to leave again and discover a language more technical, fluctuate with sandstone, try to make God coagulate with the same short attention span that has proven so effective for the networks. Perhaps the lost balloon rising above local rooftops is the sought-after subject dangled between the immediate and distant, a thought to be taken up as time allows for thinner margins. Vision squinted, a life like staring at the sun drinking day-old coffee, sick of work and scenery, microcosm of repetition, days that leave you incapable of silence and desperate to imbibe anything that can change the conversation. But it's not possible to sleep, to start over. None of this ever ends. We pack the past in little boxes, squeeze materials that make up what we think ourselves to be. A song stuck in the head becomes soundtrack of 1994, somehow still relevant, Invisible divisions between question and answer. Who am I? Static or spiral? Watch the balloon slide. From sky to mind is all air. Breathed polluted with whining and deaf city council. The wind changes direction. After a Sunday's worth of boxing up, poorly planned pranks soiled the atmosphere of mourning. Community full of sore throats, unnecessary hats hold the warmth of some strange divine poem close to the head with hair instead of fabric. Front porch sentinel sips coffee in dark, awake in dreams of what dreamers may become after home is created, uprooted, and replanted. We stretch awkward directions in search of light. Um, I haven't read this piece before, uh, but I, I don't know. I had a sick kind of desire to read it today. I've sent it to a lot of different magazines to be published, and I, I mean a lot of weird magazines, and even they send back letters that say, it's not that we don't want it, we just don't know what to do with this. Um, and, and neither do I. And So um, right after my son was born a few years ago, um, I got really, really sick. I was cutting all these trees um, in our yard, and... I, I still don't know what really happened. And I wrote this sort of through... Um, I started writing at the beginning um, of coming home with the dog from the vet. And, uh, and you'll see that's kind of where it starts. And the rest of it is sort of sprawled out along a couple days where I was really delirious and ill. Um, <laughs> so this is just that piece. Suspicious behavior from the dog. One, blood work. An outstanding veterinary bill began a sickening declination. Hours of loud conversation had everything drained where food was left over in the sink. Clean dishes waiting to be put away. Dirty dishes ready to be clean. Later, an hour of screaming before being pacified. No regular schedule this evening. Stirring through empty pots. He sniffs a localized leg before heading back to lick the carpet, agitated by the way it all went down. 
He never bothers to plan far ahead, a personal development of something to be said in some other sentence far, far away from any tongue you'll only know as well as water rises how dry my mouth this evening, how calm it feels, his eyes slowly open again, perpetual hiccups. Back into the dark, a sound comes from small white circle. If we make where we go, more time scratching that writing, no reference or hidden agenda, an explanation to parents, slow march from mouth to ear, brilliant ignorance of time, a child outside the idea of weeks, someone in the room still left to decide the future, the body not quite visible on the desk, but no less recognized beside old drum beats people don't play the same anymore. She keeps scratching, sneaking onto a blanket in the back bedroom. The last three weeks mixed with new life and severe dehydration. After trimming the vicious breed of pine tree, thin vines of poison blistered arms, took a match in one hand, red hot needle in the other, smooth holes bright white for days, still in the stages of healing hand butchered beside last fire with a friend before loading couch on U-Haul, cold morning. Next day's blurred by inability and sleep, shitting gallons in crippling intervals, realized no piss five days later, back spasms, came out pale, eight pounds lighter, no answers. Two, prescription. Keep breathing out of sync. Feet seem less chewed than usual. Masticate everything within reach. Use bigger words. Say more. Say anything. Fingers slowed to thoughtful pose before wasting seconds other things might have captured. Put down the idea of writer as self-righteous and pick up a book. See what it says. See what you say. A vocabulary after multiple intelligences. Completely shifting gears the way to work blocked by flip truck dangling above crevice from guardrail. It will be quite a while, he said. Only one way to get there. Play the same songs throughout life and remember every moment that comes with them. They can all hear more than credit can afford. All the shit. In Maelstrom, we feel right at home. Everything back to normal. The excitement of feeling like you might be overwhelmed at any moment. Swallowed completely, in debt, deeper than your foul mind can take you away from. Beyond the fear is an exit sign, a door made to look dangerous. You kick the bastard right out of the jam and walk in unannounced. When the phone rings, you can pick it up and scream the final time. No more screening. A clear glass you can't ever call here again. And it's so beautiful. A chapter. Three. Side effects. Something like a hammered timer. A clock to determine the point beyond which one can count on time. All the newest philosophies totally unexpected. Quivering in dreams no one will ever interpret. The floor occupied more often than any other surface. Outside, the disease lingers. On warm days, the smell of the neighbor's goat shit rots the breeze. Even the flowers look bitter, reduced to beauty objectified. 
the parting of the sensory. One of the recent inclusions to the ongoing soundtrack hiccup. Dreams move the feet across ghost land. His cries return. Postpone decision. Keep talking to the young girl that believes people who feel pain is inescapable should be left alone. Her eyes darken upon reflection of the hospital. A generation of early victims lost in hopeful oblivion. It makes no sense, mired every day in indecision, the needle blistering dry. The poison never hurt, neither did the matches. A slight blink where a flame used to be, innocuous enough to have managed so much havoc. Long sleeves for weeks until someone asked. The truth as brutal as the assumption, just different corners of depravity. Leaves you wondering after departing in bursts of laughter. Why can he rattle off so many lines from Silence of the Lambs? When the limbs are young, they aren't recognized, flailing wildly against the blanket, an alienated moment, the mind distant enough from the body to witness it objectively. On the other side of every exhalation, your first breath ready to be again, the moment before the agreed-upon moment arrives on either side of epiphany. Uh, this next piece uh, is a collaborative poem. It's called a Renga. That's uh, a Japanese form. Uh, it's usually done among hundreds of people uh, and carried out over several days of celebration. And the first line begins with uh, an indication toward the season or towards some event that's happened in the room. Uh, and the poem goes on in segments of three lines and two lines. Uh, until the group decides that it's complete. And this is a Renga uh, moving across the transition between fall, winter, and spring. Um, and this is uh, Jared Hayes, who's a poet that lives in uh, Portland, uh, and myself. Toe skin awakens screams. To lymph, oh shit. To toe, limp, stomp and sniveled away back to bed. Thus descending from grief, she resigned to something more peaceful. She lights a match, the last pink sliver of daylight before purple of nervousness. Manipulation not looked forward to, making it up to the skeleton. All the years bent between eclipses in the pale blue light of television, pleading with daughters and madness to cheat a transitory peace or finally take the advice of a fool who tends toward liberty when there is only self-referential freedom. Remember, don't forget the chicken in the kitchen. There's bound to be a story there. Plucked vessels on a spit, coals the color of evening. How can we tell how we feel among the smoldering taste of tongue in cheek? How can we tell how we feel because proclamation is a gag reflex? How can we tell how we feel with brimstone stuck in our teeth? With brimstone stuck in our teeth, preventing the great swallowing with an epileptic fit and a pencil, only the correspondence quivers. When we join the animals, the clock won't matter anymore. 
audience throbbing time. No more secret handshake between heart and pulse. A history, a language, a world, a violent opening. Impossible to pass through quietly. Zip, pow, bang. After the ricochet, expansion is the only identity. Thus begins the battle awaited by the public to see who can generate the loudest applause. Popsicles from our mouths pretending elaborate tongues. Unanimous eyes in line for the upper case splitting themselves over and over again like seasoned wood under October's axe. Everyone is a sexual being to fill or be filled with the possibilities and attractions of existence. Come to find out love which like light fills space the physical body can never reach entirely. To try to grasp your spirit, should we begin anew? This blooming pink plum tree smells of rotting flesh. Decorated in spices, you approach edible. Raw pink breasts cut against the grain. Walks perimeter, drawing lines with insect poison. One, one, one. One, there are many of them. There are very many of them. Each one is one. Each one is one. There are very many of them to name or disregard. Raindrops and flies circling slow. Squashed possum. Car spray, road smoke, ghost coaxing dreams up trees. The barnyard gone international. Language is a virus each one of the animals mutates. Luxuriant spring efflorescing. A thick haze of pollen on patio table. Disembark. Cast off. Begin again. Again, resurrect identity, absorbing the other. Again, again, begin. Reach, flower, reach rhododendron unfolding for the sun. As your uncle took his last breath, Robin Blazer disguised himself as a moth. Azalea, crocosmia, daffodil, death. Bleeding hearts burst for bees to feed. Dreaming stars search for chrysalis in the trees themselves derivative sorcerers of shadow creating a canopy of manipulated light the pure exteriority of language rooted deep within the body Still with me? I got two more pieces. They're uh, a little bit longer. Um, this first one's a short story titled Synaptic Rapids. Rapids. One. They entered the house to deal with what they knew already and to start learning about what they didn't. Those who had called over the weekend were unalarmed by the lack of an answer. However, an absence from church arouses a network of fear. My mother was called at work early on Monday morning. 
Leafy called my mom at 8 o'clock on Wednesdays after dinner, but in the middle of whatever sitcom was on, and every Saturday at noon. If my mom had plans for Saturday, she would let Leafy know on Wednesday night, as she did when she invited her to come shopping, along with my oldest sister, the last time they spoke. Leafy had declined, perhaps assuming, as the elderly often do, that she would have been imposing. Leafy was my great-aunt. When my mother was seven, she left San Francisco with my grandfather and came to stay at Leafy's. My grandmother chose to remain in her favorite local bar back on the West Coast. The only memory I have of my grandfather is from a photograph. He died of lung cancer shortly after I was born. My understanding of maternal family history has always been muddied, and pictures are the smooth stones that make the currents of memory readable. I cannot remember a time when I wasn't skeptical about entering that house. It had the unadaptable cleanliness of 1950s decor and all of the furniture forced military posture. The basement was cluttered. I spent the greater part of every visit, every dry turkey Thanksgiving and Christmas, every upside-down caked birthday, macaroni-baked picnic, or after-church uncomfortable young Sunday, digging through the clutter down there. I am only now beginning to grasp what I thought then was nothing. Jim and Judy Addison had lived in the house across the street from Leafy for more than 20 years. Judy had seen her come home on Friday night. When the lights were on late Saturday night, it was not out of the ordinary. She called my mom at work early on Monday morning. She had walked over to check on her, and peeking through the square window at the door, saw her folded over on the couch, still wearing her nightgown. Two. My great-grandfather owned a store where all of his children worked until the war. My grandfather, Leafy, and their brother Grover went into the service. Leafy was a mail carrier while her brothers were in battle. When they returned, Grover married Nettie, Leafy's best friend at the post office, and Leafy married Gary, who had served with her brothers in Europe. They lived five blocks apart for the rest of their lives. They spent vacations together. Nettie snuck my mother razors when Leafy felt like 15 was too young for her to shave. She called my mother Tuesday nights at exactly 7.33 and came to visit Saturday afternoons at 3 o'clock, unless, of course, my mother wasn't going to be home. At lunch Thursday afternoon, Leafy told her that my mom and my oldest sister were going shopping. Nettie called Judy and asked her to please go over and check on Leafy which Judy did frequently in times before and now after Gary's Parkinson's. My mom called Nettie when she got to Leafy's, and Jim was using a screwdriver to get in. As luck would have it, my mother couldn't find the keys in her purse. Jim grunted as he finally popped the door open. From what they could gather, Leafy had some inclination about what was happening to her. The house smelled of exhaust fumes, where Leafy had left her car running in the basement garage when she had come home on Friday night. Jim found it with the driver's side door still opened and the gas tank empty. Leafy appeared to have taken a shower, thrown on her nightgown, sat down, and just died. 
My mom tells me over the phone she suspects Leafy wanted to be clean when someone found her. She left the car and went upstairs as fast as she could. Rather than drying off, she grabbed the nightgown, and that was it. The couch is sopping wet where she had been slouched over. Nettie hadn't been inside Leafy's house for six years. Cancer had taken one of her legs and given her a steel hip, making the steep flight of stairs into Leafy's house impossible for her. Every event that had once been held there was moved to my mother's house when Nettie came home from the hospital. In fact, the first year that my mother cooked her own holiday turkey was the first time for me that eating it wasn't traumatizing. I was a teenager, but old enough to process the unspoken recognition that my mother was given then. Grover wakes up at night and wanders outside, lost in the driveway. He gets scared. He cries in what Alzheimer's leads us to believe are random intervals. But memories raise the river of the mind, and the first floodplain is our eyes. Nettie had been up all night convincing him to come back inside. She was still asleep at 8.43 on Monday when she would normally have called Leafy to schedule lunch at Delightfully Yours, where the three of them ate lunch together almost every day. When Leafy didn't answer the phone at 9, Nettie called Judy. Judy called my mother. My mother called Nettie. When my father arrived to pick them up, Nettie folded her walker and sat in the front, and Grover was floating calm in an eddy, excited to visit the sister he thought he hadn't seen in three years. The body was gone by the time they arrived. Nettie let Jim and my father carry her into the house. Nettie and my mom sat in conversation. Grover's ears were damaged in the war, and he only spoke if he wasn't sure, if he was sure he wasn't interrupting. Anymore, he doesn't seem to notice. He stands up and walks between them, my mother and my great aunt, and sits down in the wet spot where his sister had been for the last three days. Monday evening, my mom tells me over the phone that they thought briefly about warning him it was wet. He sat down and said nothing. Drowning is supposed to be the most peaceful way. Okay. And the last piece um, is another collaborative project with uh, a poet from Chicago named Jamie Kazay. Um, and we... Uh, I've never met each other uh, in person. We've talked together over the phone for some total of maybe an hour. Um, and we were directed towards a photographer from Thailand um, whose name I'm, I know I'm not going to pronounce right. Uh, his first name is Manny, uh, and his, second, his last name is um, Srinrishripan, <laughs> something to that effect. Um, I really wish I knew how to say it better, but... Uh, he is a, a really controversial photographer in Thailand um, and does a lot of uh, guerrilla demonstrations with his work and uh, it speaks a lot to what commercialism is doing to ancient uh, Thai culture and so we were 
turned to his work and told to write something in response. And what we turned out uh, was this piece on what industry is doing uh, in Appalachia. And uh, there are some photographs that go with it. I guess since we're with such a small audience, might actually be able to see pretty well if I just hold them out. Um, I can hand them out to you after I read the page, too, if you're curious to see them. Um, I, the working title of this piece is uh, The Primitive Model. Almost Heaven, West Virginia. I'm singing Where Did You Sleep Last Night in my head, fading between my father wailing pines in his best native tongue and Kurt Cobain convincing me it was a beautiful song. After so many years, it becomes a metaphor of these times as an American hidden among frostbitten trees as war continues, as Budweiser targets the gun crowd in West Virginia and the Tea Party tries to take over the revolution in a country asphyxiating under fraternizing skeleton hands, shivering the whole night through. Coal mining and timbering have changed the landscape in West Virginia. While they have provided notable job growth, the effects on the natural geography and environment are permanently devastating. It's something you're supposed to accept as part of history, but it's intolerable, like breathing dust and ash on purpose. People try to focus on themselves, their families, but there is an unspoken recognition that everything around you is always fading, dying. As a state, we have received almost nothing in exchange for the resources that have been ripped out of our ground. It's true that we wouldn't be where we are today if it weren't for mining operations. But where you see us depends on where you stand. No one seemed to pay attention to Jesse's death. He was what you'd call a good old boy. Maybe people didn't recognize him from the rest. Maybe they didn't care. Only one person I knew cried for him. Her name was Katie, and Jesse had worked on the farm next door to her house. I've reserved space for him in my mind because I was on the phone with her when he died. I didn't know him. I just circled his picture in my yearbook. He was tall and lanky, wore Metallica t-shirts all the time. I remember thinking that his face was very genuine. Jesse had been doing work on an inloader when the hydraulics gave out. The bucket came down on his head, cutting his brain in half. It was hard for Katie. She had known Jesse her entire life. But they didn't talk at school much anymore. Her friends were all preppy. And mostly, he just sat with the other good old boys playing bluegrass in the hallways at lunchtime. They would bring banjos, guitars, fiddles, and a big wash tub bass. And just play like no one was around. When he was gone, someone else learned to play the fiddle. At Jesse's death, we rage. 
Katie and I up, along, down, and through, like a mode all lawless and waved and ready. We were lawless, all rage o'clock and pinned up, and we rode through smoking city, sipping moonshine across the strobed clouds. They say Mennonites found him, but where had he gone to? Katie and I kept one eye on the ground and the other on the bone-black mines. India is the media capital of the world, and travel packages have never been cheaper. We drive in unspoken recognition down a vinyl highway. Where did you sleep last night? He worked and slept in coal three days before found. The coal burned and flaked. He won't wake. This much we know. One dark figure passed through that door. In the museum, West Virginia, all pride, red pride, it was earnestness. The ten years, the ladies with nylon knee highs tacked to ears. I want, the artist wanted to say. And now we play the fiddle, wear green tar, the tea party, asleep in the back seat. Katie has a glass head. Rings of fire still gleam in the coal mine, and the cracks of beams burn the barn. Jesse knew the sky was time-lapse. He knew one world resembles another, which is what M said three minutes before he died. Do you see it? The crack in the air that suggests sky knows best. The two dangling in the valley, necks and ears scrubbed, dangling like trees on the edge of winter. 29. As we enter the six-month season, his eyes still wander out from the river cabin window toward the water, trying to understand how to be the only one alive. Like somehow... The focus of uncertainty on steady movement will smooth the edge of the number and how it just so happened that he had overtime and took off the day of the explosion to go fishing. The dust dangles forever in that dark tunnel. The telephones keep asking questions and the pinned hand of a protective sun reaches out to receive before going underground again to bolt another roof with his one good hand on his one good knee, making certain the rite of passage remains open until this conflict creates some other way out. Thanks. Four pieces uh, were, were mine, and then um, when I sent those to her, she 
restructured sections of the text and added in new material and created the, the second narrative that began with We Rage at Jesse's Death. Um, and then uh, I added that, the final piece onto the end of it. And I think we're going to continue working on it. We're just not quite sure where it's going to go from, from here. I'm curious. Anybody want to read from the cards? Let's see what we turned out. We pack the past in little boxes. Again, begin, again, begin. Taste of tongue in cheek. The dust dangles forever in that dark tunnel. The manuscript held lovingly by its author, who leans toward it as he reads, as though to encourage the words to rise from the page. Brown senses and body parts green. October's hammer, the crack in the air. The color of now, slow march from mouth to ear, singing. Memories raise the river of our minds, and the first floodplain is our eyes. Stretch gourmet beer at a fast food price. Behind the poet, the podium, as truncated cross. Wonderful, distinct enunciation, stillness in listening. A vinyl highway. Um, well, here you got. Okay, I'll keep going. Happily, we'll greet departure from nothing is cool. Once, once, <laughs> once, my name is meaningless. Quiet, squeaky chair. Hello, Daisy or Grendel. Memories raise the river of the mind, and the first floodplain is our eyes. What can we let go of? Smiles, but what to do with it? Clouds mount purple. My name is meaningless. Nameplates on backs of chairs. Netty, leafy, silence over a frozen city. A clear glass you can't ever call here again. Water running. Karaoke on. When he was gone, someone else learned to play the fiddle. Closed all the blinds. Impulse control. Light running. Distance connection. Blank. Who am I? Memories raise the river of our minds. The, the P, I don't know what that one said. Fluctuate with sandstone. Audience as poetic note takers. Smooth. Pleading with daughters and madness. I think we make sad dragons. Illuminated moments. Still dependable. 265 wet days. What are the words in your heart? Impulse control, movements in the background, low frequency growl, even the flowers look bitter, coagulating God. Precious thoughts, harsh truths, tragedy, illuminating light, dark courage. Why didn't I grab a blue pen? The truth, as, the br as brutal as the assumption, slow march from mouth to ear, loud saw. Twelve steps, swearing toddlers, great aunt Etta Ballou, hiss of H2O, the feet speaks, we pack the past in little boxes, amber, orb, even the flowers look bitter, Ex excuses to widen the distance, 
Tim's a teacher giving us an assignment. Proclamation is a gag reflex, steel hip, broken journey home, distracted by fingernails, unadaptable cleanliness of the bathroom. What is missing is now remembered, brown magazine, warm rumble, whatever will it all, whatever will tie it all together in recovery. Language is a virus, playing go fish with cards, pool game with a grave robber, no answers anymore, guerrilla demonstrations, blue light, side effects, parting of the sensory, proclamation is a gag reflex, mom, strong, bold, congratulations to him, brother, memories, well up, tears, language is a virus, the last pale sliver of daylight. Tim Armadrout recently appeared via phone uplink as part of the 5th annual Chicago Calling event. That is not yet posted online, but Tim promises he'll add the link to it to his blog, Breath Made Visible, as soon as it is. You can find that link at our website, podcast.wvwriters.org. We also have links there to the recent interview Tim did with Daniel Godston of Examiner.com. Tim himself will be appearing very soon, not as a poet, but as a dancer, with the Trillium Performing Arts Group in Lewisburg as part of their upcoming dance and movement theater concert entitled Locally Grown. He says this will be his first endeavor at movement art. That will take place Friday, November the 12th at the Lewis Theater on Court Street in downtown Lewisburg. Tim will also be serving as the MC for the Greenbrier Valley Theater's upcoming Community Poetry Literary Tea. In this, members of the community are invited to bring their own poetry to read or simply poems by others that they enjoy while sampling tea, coffee, and tasty goodies. And Tim will be bringing a special guest for this, Joseph Cooper, a published poet from Buffalo, New York. That's coming up November 16th at 5.30 p.m. at the Greenbrier Valley Theater. And just to add a plug of my own, that day, November 16th, will also contain Carnegie Hall's next brown bag reading featuring yours truly at the mic. I'll be reading short stories and possibly even one of my patented horribly true tales. That will be at noon, November 16th, Carnegie Hall in Lewisburg. Our opening voiceover was provided by Marcus Gertrude Vowell. Our show's theme music is used with permission by its composer, Pops Walker, whose albums can be found at cdbaby.com and popswalker.com. This podcast is a production of Mr. Herman's Production Company Limited and was assembled as always atop a hill in Mercer County.